Hello everyone, my name is Ravi Kumar, President at Infosys. Welcome to this new chapter of Trailblazers in uh, 2022. You know, this is an exciting time, um, a great time to connect in 2022. Uh, the tech world calls this year as the year of the metaverse. This week is a very exciting uh, time for Infosys. We're making an announcement of the Infosys Metaverse Foundry to help navigate our enterprises, our clients, um, through the metaverse by partnering with them on a discover discovers created scale cycle as i call it through experimental infrastructure harness the power of uh, bringing a confluence of technologies 100 plus ready templates to apply use cases and uh, industry use cases 3d environments ecosystem of partnerships platforms and much more uh, Infosys, as all of you know, is deeply invested into training. Uh, I would say lifelong training infrastructure. We have the largest corporate training university in the world. So we're also making a foray into something called the metaverse in education and learning. And we're hoping to stay ahead of the curve there. What a great time to have this special guest today. Uh, the guest today is uh, Philip Rosedale, the founder of uh, Linden Labs, the parent company of the Second Life the original metaverse company, as they call it, almost founded 20 years ago uh, as an open-ended, internet-connected virtual world. Uh, following Second Life, Philip worked on a several projects related to uh, distributed work and computing, um, excited with the innovations in VR-enabling devices. He re-entered the virtual world, I would say, a space in 2013, co-founding something called High Fidelity, a company devoted to the future of next generation virtual reality using spatial audio. Uh, he rejoined um, Second Life in 2022 as a strategic uh, advisor, focused on uh, helping and shaping build a better metaverse. Philip, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So Philip, uh, you know, you've been actually thinking about the metaverse for almost 20 years. Um, you know, in the last 20 years since you established uh, Second Life, I know a variety of things happened, starting from um, the Roblox in 2006, which kind of gave a virtual gaming universe, uh, the Bitcoin, which kind of got um, blockchain on, uh, you know, on uh, on tokenized uh, tokenized currency. Virtual reality by Ready One Player in 2011. Facebook actually acquired something in 2014, which is Oculus, which is their uh, gear to get into the metaverse. Decentraland happened in 2015. And then we had um, Fortnite in 2017, decentralized gaming by Axie Infinity in 2018. And 2021, we had two broad announcements, both from Facebook and Microsoft. And we are now uh, stepping into the uh, metaverse um, world with so much of curiosity. What do you think has captured the imagination of these tech innovators, businesses, consumers um, now than ever before? Is this the confluence of all these technologies I spoke about? Is it the pandemic which kind of created a need of a virtual world for all of us to interact? Uh, is or Do we need to be cautious or do, do we think this is a hype? I'm kind of trying to understand uh, what's going on changes that have happened in those years from the time that Second Life became uh, widely used. I guess the only one I'd add there is Minecraft, uh, you know, looking at how kids have been exploring virtual worlds together as another, you know, 100 million user data point in there. But I think, uh, as you said, you know, 
COVID has probably been one of the biggest instigators, along with Facebook's most recent kind of claim of the overall market space. But, you know, COVID has created this situation where we all have had to wonder whether we're going to have to use online technology to replace some of our social and entertainment experiences. And so I think at a very high level, the industry, the, the big tech companies are all trying to figure out how do I participate in something like that, in, in providing uh, online access to social and entertainment experiences? And Philip, which industries, sectors, or type of companies you think will gain the most of the metaverse? And this is what most of my clients who are the Global 2000 ask me. And uh, do you see a specific opportunity for B2B brands uh, and how might that evolve? You know, how, how would that evolve? You know, that's the point a lot of businesses are kind of reflecting on. We saw an announcement from JP Morgan. We saw an announcement from McDonald's. I actually know that BMW is doing a digital twins on the Omniverse. Uh, NVIDIA is approaching it from a very different angle. They call it the metaverse of engineers. While we have a lot of gaming companies who are looking at it on a, in, a, in a different way. Where do you think the opportunity is for industries? Well, we saw a little bit of this with Second Life in the in the 2000s there. Um, I think that smart industries that look at specific vertical applications that take advantage of both virtual worlds and VR, things like uh, simulation of business training, um, you know, taking apart the engine of an airplane and being able to walk through it with a bunch of other people in VR. These are examples that are going to work today. I think that some of the problems that we have about broadly using virtual world and VR technology, both on the kind of governance economy and and uh you know technology experience side they they don't block some of the early enterprise applications and and i think that we will see uh use of both vr and desktop technology by enterprises today in a way that we did see a little bit of an example of there in the 2000s and i and i do think the time is right to go beyond zoom if you will and philip you know uh we are toying with this idea of the metaverse for education and learning. You know, education and learning, unlike um, what we did in our uh, lives, uh, Philip, where we studied for the first 20 years in educational schools, and then we uh, did work all our life drawing, uh, drawing education from there, uh, with digital capabilities of the future, education and work are intertwined. The life of skills is shortened. Do you see the metaverse playing a significant role uh, in intertwining education and work together? We are uh, very excited about that opportunity. It does feel like the combination of remote access, obviously, as a fundamental thing that we now are all embracing as an industry, you know, broadly, the combination of that and the ability of virtual worlds to put people face to face in a much more memorable and comfortable way is something that... Uh, will drive changes. And I agree with you. I actually think if you look at something like Ready Player One as a work of fiction, the thing that was left out when they made the movie, in my opinion, yeah. was this implication for education. The, uh, you know, the very idea of that book was that kids were now going to school um, from home uh, using virtual reality. And they kind of left that out of the movie, which I found so, so frustrating because I, I agree with you. I think that if we make it much, much easier to do continuing education, for example, or training, we're going to disintermediate perhaps universities in some regard you know i've talked to schools about this and see a really different kind of delivery pipeline for education and i think as you say that the, the key uh virtual world 
experience, the key technologies that enable that kind of experience are exactly what's going to make it uh, possible and a distinctly better experience than what we're doing today, mostly with online video conferencing. And it's going to be much more immersive. You could you could personalize it and uh, you could intertwine it with work. That's the way I see it, Philip. Um, yeah. You know, there is one thing uh, I'm guessing you learned out of Second Life. Um, the current internet in its centralized form has a very imbalanced creator economics. Um, people are upset about data controls. Or people are upset about the hold on attention, uh, monetizing attention, if I may. Uh, the communities are very disgruntled. In some ways, the future of the metaverse built on Web3 auto technologies, decentralized ledger, uh, you know, has the promise of creating a, a more equitable balance between participants and the creators, and it could potentially lead to a participant-led economy bridging the divide. How do you think the economics will shape up in the met metaverse? And I know you did a little bit of that in Second Life as well. Your economics is not related to advertising and promotional activities. It's more subscription-based. Tell us a little bit about that. We are hoping the internet will evolve to this uh, much more balanced distributed value. Sometimes, when I, especially when I think about the work, for example, that your company has done, I'm, I observe that the internet is still very decentralized for a lot of experiences, for a lot of companies, for a lot of experiences. You know, when you help a company uh, put a new service or a product online, fundamentally, um, you know, you're you're generally enabling them to operate in what is still a very decentralized way. But you're right. Um, a couple of companies, you know, probably most notably Facebook and Google, have built business models around being an intermediary that captures a large share of creator content as it's delivered to the world, you know, through social media. And I do agree with the enthusiasm around uh, fixing some of that intermediation. But I would note that, you know, it doesn't apply to the whole internet. Second Life, as you say, uh, Second Life was a very interesting experiment in an early cryptocurrency, a, a digital currency that was uh, sort of partly decentralized and partly centralized. And so it's a fascinating kind of case study for the future right now. And uh, it enabled people to engage in trade in a very fair and open and kind of microtransaction sort of way. And as you last said, and I'll repeat it, Second Life is demonstration that... Uh, you can have a great business that doesn't uh, manipulate behavior or get in the middle of content creators. And I, th I think those two are sort of the same problem. We, Second Life is a business based entirely on fees, uh, transaction fees and land fees, and therefore, you know, doesn't kind of get in the way of, uh, of the creators. And, you know, the, 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 the company still generates a great business, makes more money per user per year than Facebook and Google. And, uh, you know, talking about Second Life, uh, you kind of got stabilized at like a million residents, as you call them, for a very long time. And it never kind of got accelerated to be huge. Uh, and in some ways, the ec economics model is very different as well. I was wondering whether the economics uh, pushed you to not not grow or it's uh, the other way around. Like, you know, Facebook had like two, two plus billion people. Um, and I heard you quoting in one of your interviews saying that, uh, you know, this decision to live in the digital world is a serious one mm -hmm. uh, and uh, people have to think through. Did this teach you something about how much serious time people would really spend on this virtual reality? 
uh, I'm kind of curious to know, uh, is there a learning from your second life experience? You know, you're right. Uh, When I started Second Life, like a lot of entrepreneurs here in Silicon Valley in the late 90s, early 2000s, it sort of seemed like everything we could offer people online was a good thing. Looking back now, you know, almost 30 years or 20 more than 20 years later, you know, I think we made some mistakes. Um, There are certainly uh, reasons to not spend too much time on your phone or um, on social media or or on the internet overall. And so I think that... uh, you know, it, it's a very fair point. And going back to what you said about uh, stabilizing at a million people, I'm pretty sure that Second Life didn't stabilize at a million people because of the business model, but rather because people are not yet ready, mostly, to engage particularly in social and entertainment experiences online. We still have fundamental research we need to do, and Second Life is proof of this with its with its uh, smaller uh, base of uh, residents, that we still have work to do to make the social and entertainment experience uh, compelling for people. And and as I've said before, I'm not even sure that's a bad thing. I think as, as you started to say, we should be very cautious about how we spend our time and why we're online and what we're doing when we're there. In fact, Philip, you know, interesting uh, research about uh, the iPhone as it got introduced in 2007. You know, the stats last year said that uh, uh, at an average, 46% of the people use five to six hours on the phone and around 22%, maybe it's, you know, I'm one of them, uh, spends three to four hours on the phone. And it's kind of, uh, we've got to that point because there was more co-creation and co-innovation of the communities around the phone ecosystem, the iPhone ecosystem. Do you see a similar evolution happening in virtual spaces as well? And that will then... Uh, evolve us to spend more purposeful time in virtual spaces uh, and therefore expand the art of the possibilities and in a way your experience with Second Life and uh, tell us a little bit about how that can be evangelized. Well first of all I would say that the as you say Second Life started right at the beginning of the smartphone. We missed the smartphone like Facebook and all the other companies that started right there in the early 2000s. When when the iPhone came out in 2007 I can remember saying this is ridiculous it'll never be it's not big enough it won't be successful. Um so I think that we all learned a lot from that moment. Um the smartphone is a difficult, and of course, the smartphone is the dominant way that people worldwide access the internet. The smartphone is a difficult way to be really immersed, particularly in an entertainment or a social experience. It's difficult. I think, as, as we said earlier, it's much more approachable for things like uh, industrial applications, training, you know, things where you're very purposeful. But the, uh, the, the smartphone is a difficult way to be immersed. And so I think that's going to set back progress a little bit as we go toward uh, these metaverse style, you know, three-dimensional environments. But I think the important thing here to, to, to think about is not so much the technology or the devices through which we access the internet, but more what we're doing when we're there. And I think the thing that we're at risk as a, as a species right now is reducing trust and reducing, um, real, uh, present, you know, intimate communication between people. I think that one of the problems, largely unintentional uh, of the internet product designers so far is that they have succeeded in sort of separating people from each other in under cases where we thought we would have brought everybody together more. Um, so I think that the it's important to build these metaverse worlds as we become three-dimensional, as we start to have these live experiences with a focus on giving people the same 
quality and you know trust building and collaborative opportunity when face to face with each other in this place as we have in real life as much as we possibly can no that's uh, so well said philip in fact um, uh, you know i'm hopeful that web 3.0 technologies which will be the underpinnings of the metaverse uh, will create that trust on the internet um, and and hopefully we transition from uh, from an economy which is very attention seeking seeking to an economy which is value driven uh, in fact i just wanted to ask you this ironic situation we are all in uh, on one side we have digital fatigue and digital minimalism as people call it from this immersive hyper connected virtual world why the hell do we need uh, to be on the metaverse is this an opportunity to create like, like this a real alternate world where you find it more satisfying uh, more level playing more inclusive uh, and a reset to the digital divide we have created um, uh, now i'm kind of trying trying to understand is that a way to see why you need to be on the metaverse and now i i'd say a couple things about that one is you know remote work and i'm sure that your company is on the front lines of this with your customers i i fear as we go back from a fully remote situation which is dominated during covid at least for at least for technology workers knowledge workers to a hybrid environment where we have multiple people in a meeting room and then multiple people that are trying to join that meeting from remote i think that actually is both a tremendous problem and an opportunity for innovation on multiple fronts you know the ability for people to work together in a hybrid environment with multiple people in shared spaces and then multiple people remote is a very interesting technology problem i don't think we have nearly any of the solutions yet for that um and then you know uh i think as regards digital fatigue you know we spent a ton of time so far at high fidelity looking at things like spatial audio and also kind of what's wrong with video conferencing, you know, and a lot of that fatigue are these problems that result from having a lot of faces looking at you or seemingly looking at you, and you know, and uh, it doesn't happen as much in a one-on-one -on -one conversation like we're having, but it does happen in a group conversation that, you know, that fatigue goes up, maybe it goes up even non-linearly as you increase the number of people in the, in the room. So I, I think that there's, um, there is a positive opportunity to give people a more relaxing, less fatiguing experience, say as avatars in virtual spaces and address some of the research and the problem that you're talking about there. In fact, Philip, you're, you're absolutely spot on. Uh, I think uh, working all remote is relatively easy. Uh, working physical, of course, uh, we are used to it. Working hybrid is gonna be harder because uh, you just need to create a equality of experience between physical and virtual worlds. Um, you know, just reflecting on some of, some of the conversations I'm having with my clients, what are the biggest challenges for experimenting with the metaverse uh, for companies that are intrigued by it, but don't know where to start with? Uh, the use cases are not very mature. Uh, what should companies be thinking about if they want to start this journey on the metaverse? A few things. Um, one is to focus on an end-to-end -end quality of experience metric of some kind. I talk about this a lot as it relates to broad uses of the metaverse, but you know, people like to try things like VR headsets, for example, and even virtual worlds with avatars. They'll try it one time and they'll never come back again, but they'll actually report the experience as being a positive one, which is actually a fascinating finding in product development. 
But what I would say for for your customers is to think about starting small with a very specific use case, getting it working, and then being very particular about post-testing that people prefer it to, say, a video conferencing equivalent or to whatever they were doing before, and really being thorough about that user study because it's easy to be mistaken and believe that you have something working that is fatiguing or or has too high a transaction cost, you know, putting the headset on or whatever, and uh, ultimately doesn't get used. We've seen a lot of that on the consumer side, and I think we're going to see you're going to see the same thing on the enterprise side as people try to build solutions. In fact, uh, just a follow through from that, and Philip, uh, thank you for your time. And this will be my, you know, I could talk to you for hours on this, uh, but um, I will let you go. This will be my last question. Uh, in one way. Uh, we say the metaverse is metaverse of today is around, you know, it's kind of much beyond the buzz, uh, but we still know that the real metaverse is years away. When do you see the metaverse evolving to a general purpose population grade uh, technology or a general purpose population grade platform scale? And you did speak about the technology advances. In fact, that's actually uh, the, you know, that's actually a huge uh, generational shift on you know, on technology, which will happen in the next few years, which will hopefully get us uh, get us there soon. Uh, what do you see are the technology advances which are critical for the uh, evolution of the metaverse in the future? There are really two. Well, there's kind of maybe maybe we can make this into a two by two matrix, right? <laughs> We've got the the hardware that we're going to use. So there's there's virtual world and metaverse technology deployed to the desktop, okay? And then there's the second stage is technology deployed on either AR or VR goggles. Let me talk about the AR and VR goggles. I think they're quite a ways out, farther than people think, except for industrial applications like simulation and training, which we touched on earlier. For entertainment and casual use business meetings, uh, live events and things like that, I think the VR headsets and AR devices are more than five years out at this point. The reason for that is that there's just critical work such as weight, uh, discomfort, uh, the, the feeling of being sort of blindfolded in the real world that are very, very difficult physical problems to address in the hardware. So I think we're far out there. If you bring it in closer, though, to, say, the desktop devices, which I think desktop and smartphone, which will dominate use over the next five years, the challenge is there, as you say, to get from the hype stage to really, really heavy usage are related to, I think, two areas. One is the nature of the avatar. We have to build a, a virtual person that is comfortable enough for a regular, say, business person to come to a meeting wearing. They have to be comfortable being an avatar. I think we're close on that, but we're not quite there. But there's a lot of good evidence in the marketplace, you know, techniques like Epic's meta humans. And, you know, there's, there's bunches of bits of examples coming out that show us the way there. Uh, but I think over the next five years, the first area is the quality of the avatar. That's going to have to get a good deal better to get the average person to, say, come to a meeting. The second thing is getting a lot of people in one place. This is partly what we've worked on with high fidelity and audio. Uh, many, many human experiences, as we know, are experiences where there's, say, more than 100 people in attendance. You know, whether you're talking about a freshman college class or a music event or, uh, you know, almost any kind of entertainment experience, you've typically got a lot of people standing around. And the technology needs to get there to enable lots of people in one place. The examples we've seen over the last couple of years have been toy examples that typically have a dozen people. 
in one place. You know, Second Life can get about 100 people in one place, but barely. Uh, High Fidelity has done some tests with 500 people in one place wearing, wearing VR headsets. But in any case, we've got to get to the kind of audience size that you would say have visiting a website, uh, and we're not quite there yet. And so I think the next five years are going to be critical to see avatar improvements and scale, uh, scale capacity improvements. Philip, I can go on for hours on this. I'm just going to squeeze in one so curious question I have. Do you see interoperability between different metaverses in the future uh, in some ways? For sure. I mean, there's going to have to be some interop, but I think the ways we're talking about it today don't really make a lot of sense. Today, people are talking about, say, wearing the same tennis shoes between two two or three different video games. But I don't think that's very likely to happen because game, games bar, are by design their own universes. They they have a holistic quality to them, which is implicit in the design of them and in, in, in their appeal. So I think the conversation about you know how we uh, you know, drive a car from Fortnite into Among yeah. Us or something like that is kind of a silly conversation. But the business conversation, on the other hand, about how you might come to a business meeting wearing a suit that that, that you bought uh, is a very important one. And I think it's there that we will see some interoperability standards continue to develop. I mean, there are, you know, early fledgling efforts around that right now. But I do think once we have business use cases that are real, we're definitely going to have content interoperability that will fall out of that. And I think the network effects will drive it to happen uh, as, as producers want to have their content accessible on more platforms. So well said, you know, the metaverse will have a network effect. You know, uh, I actually wish that the next time you and I talk to our audiences, we do it, do this conversation in the metaverse. Absolutely. Uh, again, for your time today. And thank you for that very insightful, uh, uh, provocative thoughts about the metaverse. And uh, thank you for your time. Thank you very much for having me. This was great.